When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. I'm Richard Fletcher, Business Editor of the Times. This week's podcast is a commodity special. I'm joined by Robin Pagnamenta, our energy editor, Marcus LaRue, our mining expert, and markets reporter, Alex Ralph. So Marcus, maybe we could start with you. We obviously saw commodities peak in around 2011, a long time ago, but oil was nearly at $150 a barrel from memory, iron ore at nearly £190 a tonne. Will we ever see prices like that again? Not for a very long time is the is the obvious answer, especially not in the two commodities that you've just mentioned for, for my money. The, the things that were driving that, that's what you need to, to look at. And it was the voracious appetite of Chinese urbanite of, of China, which was building cities uh, at a furious rate, completely unprecedented growth, which coaxed these enormous expansion projects into existence from especially in, in, in Western Australia and Brazil, which now means that you have these these huge facilities pumping out low-cost iron ore, for example, to feed Chinese steel mills, and Chinese steel production is falling off a cliff because they're not building cities like like they used to. That will take a long, long time to to come out in the in the wash. Robin, oil prices and 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 commodity prices generally. What's your view? Well, as far as oil is concerned, I think it's hard to see oil back at $150 a barrel um, any time in the foreseeable future. And I think there's a, a number of reasons for that. Firstly, you know, there's no sign at the moment of any end to this glut of oil production. You know, the, the Saudis uh, maintain, you know, r- remain committed to their policy of defending market share at the expense of price. And other producers, both within OPEC and outside, are continuing to produce, you know, at, at very high levels. We just saw Russia hit a, a record crude output since the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union last week. So there's, there's, you know, this this continued glut in production, and something else has happened in the oil market, which is obviously the shale industry and this sort of uh, long-term shift in the market, which is underway. And the thing about shale is that it's really sort of fundamentally different from conventional oil production in that it's more like a sort of industrial process which can be switched on and off relatively inexpensively. So even if we do see oil prices return uh, above the current range, you know, perhaps up to 60 or $70, I think what, what we'll then see is some of the US shale come back on, you know, and, and that will send prices lower again. So I think the outlook for oil prices is certainly I, I, I can't see them returning to those levels anytime soon. So, so you're both agreed that we're not going to go back to 2011 uh, levels, but I noticed you, you both managed to avoid really talking about how low we might go. I mean, have we reached the bottom, do you think? Yeah, it's a, which is a great question. I mean, I, my suspicion, I mean, nobody, nobody knows ultimately, but if you look at the, the length of time it takes big projects to come to fruition 
means that we're still getting enormous increases in supply in iron ore from decisions that were made when iron ore was, as you said, at $190 a tonne. Today, it's at, it's at less than 50 So you have hundreds of millions of tonnes that were based on the economics of, of, of the peak of the, of the cycle. Those guys can still make money because you're talking about, you know, fantastic infrastructure and for example, especially Western Western Australia, it costs a pittance to stick it on a on a on a on a on a work uh, carrier and, and, and send it to Qingdao or Tianjin. So without the, the, the fierce kind of double digit growth of the world's second largest economy gobbling up anything it can get that's going to kill prices for the for the foreseeable future on iron ore. And I think I would make a similar similar point with oil. One of the, you know, Robin mentioned fracking. Um, one of the fascinating points about fracking is he said it's an industrial process. You can blow away some of the stuff around the edges, but they can come back when prices rise. But the other interesting thing is that you've seen activity in terms of rig counts come down. So the number of people drilling has gone down dramatically, halved in North America, but production hasn't gone down by anything like half. In fact, it's barely budged at all because the productivity of the guys that are there is so much better than it used to be. Technical advances mean that you can, you know, that that, that what these guys call the cost curve flattens. It gets cheaper and more efficient to get stuff out of the, out of the ground. And that's going to, that's going to weigh on prices as well. Robin? Yeah, I mean, I think with with oil, we seem to be we seem to have been stuck in this range between about forty and sixty dollars now for a little while. You know, I guess it's possible we may not yet have hit, hit a bottom, and 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 you know, th- uh, things could go lower. Uh, I think you know, obviously, the the the, the crunch will come uh, next month when we have the first OPEC meeting since June, and we'll get some sort of indication there of how committed the Saudis are to maintaining their policy of, of continuing to produce at very high levels. And there will obviously be a great clamour from some of the other members who are really hurting, like Venezuela, uh, Algeria. They, they're desperate for OPEC to act. At the moment, there's no sign that the Saudis, who who, who are the clear you know leaders of, of this organisation, uh, have any, any particular interest to, to follow their... Uh, their wishes but you know we will get some indication in December of of their willingness and Alex what does this mean for the equity markets in terms of the FTSE 100 is obviously dominated by miners and you know as as we both know they can swing it on a day you know if it's driven by miners we know that it's going to be a, a bad day and I mean obviously the FTSE has underperformed other markets because of this dominance of natural resources what, what do you think that means for London and and the direction of the FTSE yeah, I mean, it, it makes um, for very depressed uh, city stockbrokers on on quite a daily basis at the moment. Um, when um, when the n- news in China is bad, then that obviously has an effect on the miners and the oil companies, and that in turn hits the FTSE, which has got about the FTSE 100 has about seven mining companies, um, which make up about five percent of the FTSE 100. That's excluding the oil and gas companies. So you can see the the, the heavy weighting that that has, and that's why. To such a large extent, the FTSE 100 is down 2.6% over the year. And if you compare that to the 250, which is much broader and more domestic uh, focused, that's actually up on the year. You can see where the opportunities are. And and so we're stuck in this cycle then until uh, I suppose eventually they'll, if it continues forever, they'll fall out of the FTSE at a, at a 
the next sort of quarterly review. Yeah, I mean, we saw that at the last uh, the last review we had. We had a few weeks ago when Weir Group, an engineering services company, which is heavily exposed to the oil and gas industry, that was demoted to the 250 and um, has been floundering there since. So, um, you know, we're coming up again to the review next month. There's a chance that um, some of those other companies which are exposed to an extent may be... Um, maybe heading for the job. And Robin, you did a, a Tempest special a uh, couple of weeks ago on the oil companies and whether they were now a buy, which we'll put up online uh, at thetimes.co.uk forward slash business. What was the conclusion of that? Do you, Are there some opportunity for small investors here? Are there, are there some bargains? Uh, well, there the may brave? be. There may be. I don't think it's a trade for the faint-hearted because I think uh, second-guessing the oil market is a, is a dangerous game. Uh, I certainly would avoid the smaller... Uh, end of the market because many of these companies are highly leveraged and they're in financial distress and I think if the oil price continues at these levels we're going to see some corporate failures over the next few months. Uh, As for the bigger companies which are better placed to withstand this downturn there's a sound argument to make that um, buying at you know we may not be quite at the bottom of the cycle but we might be somewhere near it and there may be a a sound investment case there for, for for a buy in some of the, you know, some of the oil majors, um, you know, the shells and BPs of this world, uh, which are major, uh, you know, FTSE dividend payers. So, you know, I, th- I think there is an argument to be made there, but it, but I would, um, I'd be cautious and I would avoid the smaller, the smaller fish. Marcus? I think you could make a similar argument for for the big mining groups that, that if you look at, you know, take, for example, Rio and BHP, BHP, the world's biggest miner, is on a, a dividend yield the last time I checked at, at, at sort of around eight percent. So the the city doesn't think that it will that it will will um, retain its dividend. Andrew McKenzie has actually said the boss of BHP Bilton has actually said over my dead body. So if you believe him, if you if you're willing to take him at his word, that's um, that's a pretty cheap dividend yield um, for for investors, and it's definitely I would say it's definitely worth a look. And in the broader you know sense, BHP and Rio produce Western Australian iron ore at about fifteen dollars a ton. The, the the pessimists out there, uh, of whom I'd probably be be one, say that the price might get to forty dollars. That's going to kill a lot of projects that need a price of above you know 60 70 dollars uh to 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 go ahead so in the long run they're going to have you know a period of you know enhanced profits there will be a bonanza it'll take several years to come through but these guys have decades of production from from uh from you know some of the world's best assets in in that area but in the short term, if you're interested in a dividend yield, there are probably worse places to look than than the less indebted, um, lowest cost mining groups. But but you're convinced, Robin, that we are going to see a few more casualties. Uh, yeah, I think it's almost inevitable. Um, we've already seen some, particularly in the US shale industry. There've been a few. At the moment, it feels as if the banks are being quite patient and understanding. They don't, you know, they seem to be uh, uh, sort of rolling over some of these debts which you know uh, which are weighing on some of these smaller companies but i think it's just a matter of time before we see more failures and really you know the test is simply how long we see prices at these levels i mean it's if, if it goes on for a, another year I, th- I think there'll be plenty and alex are there many buyers of natural resources stocks out there there are those that are borrowing them and um shorting them that's for sure um <laughs> Glencore is. Uh, are there big shorts on 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 some of these companies? On the commodity companies, there are particularly Glencore. Uh, the latest statistics from the FCA is uh, there's a two point two percent short on Glencore, and Anglo American um, is one point six percent. So 
that's fairly big. I mean, I think I think the biggest is sort of around eight or so percent. So it gives you an idea of of how um, the view that their investors are taking. Who's the biggest short in the FTSE? Eight percent. Now you're testing me. I think to to memory it was Carillion. Um, That was very past with flying colours. And um, just finally, I mean, Marcus, what does this mean for the sort of resource-dependent countries? Because th- this has interest in wider uh, effects, doesn't it? It's, it's fascinating, yeah. I mean, Robin wrote a story on the Saudis a while ago saying that, they've, you know, perfect example of this of this issue. Some of the lowest cost production in the world, but the balance there, their budget, you know, they need, I don't know, for the sake of argument, something like $100 a barrel or something like that. But they know in the long, it's not in their long-term interest to encourage new entrants to the market. The Western Australians, you know, Australia slashing slashing its federal budget because of because of iron ore prices, and it means that poor countries that haven't got around to 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 digging up their iron ore, their copper, aren't going to see that boost from. They haven't hitched their 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 wagons to the Chinese uh, steam engine, and they've missed the opportunity to do so. So for. Guinea is a very good example. Some of the world's biggest iron ore resources uh, won't get developed for a very long time um, in this in this environment. And that means that a desperately poor country is going to stay desperately poor for the foreseeable, foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's it's a sort of in terms of oil dependent countries, it's a mixed bag. You've got countries like Libya, where who's which derives ninety five percent of its GDP from oil. I mean, you know, well, the country's in in civil war. I mean, that's, oil isn't the only reason for that, but it doesn't help. You've got countries like Venezuela, which are hurting incredibly badly. Their economy is in is in meltdown. Then you've got the Saudis, heavily dependent on oil, but with huge reserves that are helping them kind of uh, make their way through the downturn. Uh, so it's a sort of mixed picture, really. Uh, but, you know, obviously it's causing intense distress for many of them. Well, thank you. That's all for this week. Don't forget, if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Robin, Marcus and Alex. They're all on Twitter, so do follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.